Um, I am so excited to share with you this morning. Um, I'm going to give you my title, but I just want to tell a story just a little bit, just to, to give you context. Can you look at your neighbor and say context? So many times when we walk into church service, we, we, we can get confused on what this thing called worship is. Can you say worship? To a lot of people, uh, we believe that worship is the last two songs in the set list. Oh, the slow songs are coming, now it's time to worship. We can think that, oh, it's Sunday, 10 a.m., so I need to show up early so that I can start to worship. We think that music, lights, and, and singing is worship. But look at your neighbor and say, you got it wrong. Instead of thinking about music, lights, and sound for the next 45 minutes or so, I, I just want to ask each one of you to really, like, circumcise your heart. That basically means this. That means to, to cut away all of the dead parts of what you believe and allowing God to enter in. How many of you guys uh, like steak? Do you know the actual term when you're actually in, like, culinary arts is that you actually circumcise whatever cut of meat that you're using. That means to cut away the fat is to cut away the visceral parts, the parts that nobody wants to chew on while they're eating. So many times when we come into church, I feel that we start chewing on the fat and we chew on the visceral parts because we have a misunderstanding of what worship is. So we can walk into a worship service where there are people up here like what we just saw that are like slain before God where God is speaking to them. And then you can have people at the back of the room that are like playing doodle dash or, or, or they're, they're playing a game on their phone. And it's just like God's no different to the people up here than the person back there. But the question is, what is your perspective of worshiping our king? Like how do you see it? We've all received a gift before, correct? I can receive exactly what I want, but if your heart is in the wrong place, the gift means nothing. So that means that you can lift your hands, you can open up your mouth, and you can sing the words. But if your heart posture is wrong, then your worship means absolutely nothing. So I want you to do one thing. Can you say lean in? I, wa I want you to lean, like physically, yes, but I want your spirit to lean into what God is trying to get to you this morning. Is that okay? Can you promise me that? I won't make you raise your right hand because I already know who my 12 people are. They're the same ones every service. So I got y'all. I see y'all. I've been scoping y'all out. So let me tell you a story. So a long time ago, say a long time. A long time ago, a long time ago. Uh, we were on 24th and St. Mary's. Did anybody have the opportunity of having church then? Now, back then, we used to have church. Like, actually, pastor would say church, no R. Where the spirit of God would come into the room and our worship services would literally last for hours. Where the presence of God would be so thick and so heavy. Do you guys understand the fear of God? The fear of God basically means this. It's not that you're afraid of him, but it's just like when your body experiences glory... Your physical shell doesn't know what to do. So your spirit man shuts your body down. So there'd be times when we'd be in worship and the presence of God would walk in and it would feel like a giant was walking in the room and nobody could move. People would hide underneath chairs and tables and pews because it was like, what is, what is that? You ever seen movies like where aliens come to earth and they're blowing everything up and people are like freaking out? Imagine that level of intensity but in the most awesome love possible. You, you, you can probably imagine that it was kind of like what it would have felt like to walk in the presence of Jesus while he was here on earth. So what would happen is, is that um, our pastor, your pastor, my dad, our father, right, like the great guy, he would call a band of brothers together, not literally, but that's just, it's just how I see it. He would call these band of brothers together, and they would spend literally like days and days on end at the church. So at our church, it was kind of like a cathedral. Have you guys ever been to like a theater before or seen a play or something like that? 
You know how like there are balconies and it's super beautiful. But the part about it was where you stood at our old church, when you looked up into the back, there was these rafters. So at some point in time, there was an organ player. So you would play the organ and they would put all the pipes and all the amplifying sound up in the top. So as they would start to play, it was like the Phantom of the Opera, but there was no creepy guy with the mask. It was, you know. So when we bought the building, evidently they had gutted all that space and we used it as open space. So pastor had this amazing idea that he was going to start just randomly calling men in the church, not saying that women were not, not saying that women would subpar, but these were, it's different when men pray. Like, okay, let, let me clean that up. Men and women have the same power. Men and women come from the same root, where there's, there's woe man and then there's man. But there's something about when brothers get on their knees. Any other brothers? Anybody here? There's something about when men break their posture of being machismo and they get on their knees before God and they are not afraid. And they're not afraid to say, God, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I think that my want to please you pleases you. So pastor would take these men and he would take them up into that space and um, they would be there, like, say, days. Like, not 24 hours. I'm talking, like, 72. Like, three, four days, they would be up there with no food, no water, literally, in, like, like, in God's face, wrestling with God. Not, like, fighting him, but, like, you ever, like, woken up in the middle of the night and God's given you something and, like, you're just like, I don't know if I can do this. Or you're super excited and you can't sleep. Imagine that for three days. God pouring into you what his plan is for you. So my mom would say, hey, so uh, I'm going to send you down to the church. We would drive down there, and she would have some food, say leftovers. She would have some leftovers for whatever our dinner was because Pops was at the church. So she would drop me off, and she would say, hey, go find your dad. I always knew where they were, but they never turned the lights on. So if you walk into our church downtown, it was like a lots of chasms and a lot of shadows. So you think you see something, right? So I'm nine years old, shaking. I probably have like greens, cornbread, and a chicken thigh or something, but I'm freaking out. But this is the thing. The minute that I would open the door, I would start to hear the prayers of the men that were with my father. I just want you to, like, envision it. Everything that you think you know, throw it away this morning. You can pick it up on the way out. That's fine. But just as you, if you're in this place, have new ears. Can you say new ears? new ears? I would walk in, and all I would hear is, God, you're grateful. I mean, God, we're grateful. God, we, we, this church will not, not go to hell in a handbasket. God, all of our wives will be blah, 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 and our kids, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, these men are going in. And I couldn't see, but their worship started to lead me. So I'm walking in the dark with this food, and I would get to the point where my, I, would, I would yell out to my dad, and he would come down to his office because his office was right below. And I brought him the food, and I gave him the leftovers, and I said, hey, here, Pops, here you go. And one particular time, my dad grabbed the food, and he says, what's this? I said, well, this is the leftovers from what we ate. And my dad said, well, do you have anything that's hot? And I said, well, you could put it in the microwave. And he looks at me, and he says, well, God doesn't like our leftovers. God isn't interested in the leftover parts of you. God's not interested in the picked over energy. God's not interested in the picked over interest. God wants your interest hot and ready. Can you say hot and ready? So my title this morning is called No More Leftovers. How many times do we walk into a church service? How many times do we walk into a worship service and we give God our leftovers? We don't give him something that's right out of the oven. Like the first thing out of the morning isn't, God, you're amazing. The first thing is Twitter, what's going on? How many times do we not roll over and tell, our, tell God, like, God, thank you so much for our family. God, thank you for the warmth in my bed. Like, but we give him the leftovers of our worship, of our praise when we need him. So, God, now that I need you to make a way out of no way, now I really want to sing the songs because now those lyrics mean something. 
But what would happen if every time that you woke up, every time you walked into a situation, you gave God the first cut of the slice of pizza and not the cold piece of pizza that you give your kid to go to school with for lunch? What if we started to walk into an environment where we actually had the right perspective of worship? Say, can you say perspective? So here we go. I want to give you the three purposes of worship. Today, I, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that through the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's thick in here. Anybody else attest to that? Like, it's thick. It's like you can literally touch the atmosphere in here. I really believe that today, that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through God's presence, that since he's here, anything and everything that you've ever asked for or wanted, you can get it in an instant. I believe that it's going to happen today. Sickness is going to leave today. Marriage is going to come together today. But I, I want you to listen just a little bit because we're going to practice our worship. Can you say practice? Practice our worship. If you can practice your dance moves for the club in the mirror, then you can practice living your hands. Right? If you can practice how cute you want to look when you're eating for the date, then you can practice having a date with Jesus. Okay. So here we go. There are three purposes. Can you say three? The number one is this. We were created to worship. In Revelations 4.11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And listen to this. And they exist only because you created them because they please you. What we have to understand is that God created us for his pleasure. Like, God created you so that he could feel good. Like, have you ever received praise from your child? You're, you're, uh, you can get a $10,000 raise at work. I don't know where they do that at. Somebody can give you a plate of food, but if your baby comes to you and says, Daddy, I love you. Oh, I don't have kids, but oh. If your baby girl comes to you, fathers, any fathers got girls? What happens when she, she can just look at you a certain way and it's like, here, just take it all. Just take it all. That's the way that God feels when we worship him. When we worship and give God pleasure through our worship, it inclines him to give us everything that we need. The second purpose is this. It's going to be thick in here. Oh, my God. This is crazy. The second is this. God lives in our worship. Can you say that? God lives in our worship. In Psalms 145.4, we understand that, that, that I'm, I'm sorry, we understand that we are reminded that God literally lives in our praise and our worship. It says that he inhabits the praise of his people. So that means that whatever situation that you're in, if you can open up your mouth and the only thing you can say is hallelujah, you have now built a house for God to live in. In every single situation that you're in, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter how far you think you've strayed away from God, it doesn't even, it doesn't even matter for the men that did what they did yesterday, that, that God doesn't even have like... He doesn't put sin on a Richter scale, right? So, like, what happened yesterday and you, like, like cursing somebody out in your head, God has it on the same level, and you both need forgiveness. But if you can just get your hands up, if you can open up your mouth and open up your heart, God is able to live in it. Can you say live in it? Here's the third part. The third purpose of worship is that it's your destination. Can you say destination? So many people believe, like, how many of you want to go to heaven? It should be everybody's hand. If, you, if your hand is down, we need to have a deliverance service right now. We all want to go to heaven, right? The destination is on earth, but I want to let, make sure you understand that worship is the destination. You want proof? Let's go to the word. Look at your neighbor. Let's go to the word. Revelations 4.8. It says, for the eternity of time in heaven, this is what they're singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is no top 100. 
There is no Kids Bop 5, and if it is Kids Bop 5, they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So that means the minute that we get to heaven, you die, God judges you, you're in heaven. The minute you walk in, I feel like we're going to be like, man, I can't stand a holy, holy, holy. Every time you open up your mouth, it's going to be in worship to God. I just want to make sure you understand that the destination of where you're trying to go, your only job is going to be worshiping him. So that's why we keep talking about instead of trying to die and go to heaven, there's some stuff that you got to do here. Because once you go to heaven, the only power you're going to have is over your vocal cords. And you're not even going to be able to speak certain things. It's going to be holy is the Lord God Almighty. So what I want to make sure you understand, I want you to write this down, is that your worship is inevitable. For those of you that may not know what that word means, that means that your worship is something that you cannot help not to do. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you brush your hair, the way you brush your teeth, the way you hug your wife or don't hug your wife, the way you speak to people, even just your aura, how you smell, everything that you do gives glory to God. The question is, is is it sincere or not? Once we understand that everything is worship, we realize that the 20 minutes before service is just an act of our love, but it's not love itself. Being with people that you love, giving them gifts, preparing food for them, that's not love. It's an act of love. How many of you have ever eaten food that was great, but the person that was serving it to you had an attitude? It, it changes the way that the food tastes. So how much more does our God have a bad taste in his mouth regarding our worship? I'm, like, I wish I could take you to the end of the sermon right now. God is eating a lot of plates of food that taste like poison but look like Cheesecake Factory. God, I, I, got, I got two sides, a biscuit, I, I got chicken, and God's saying, but it still tastes like your bitterness. It, oh, but your worship still tastes like your resentment. Like your, your worship still tastes like unforgiveness. Like your worship still tastes like that thing that happened two years ago that you keep blaming me for. So like, it's like you're worshiping me just so that you can say that you fed me, but the food that you're feeding me isn't nutritious to my body. So what would happen if we spent just as much time getting our heart right? If we spent just as much time getting our heart right as we did preparing the gift. We spent a lot of time going, figuring out, asking subliminally. When I, when I proposed, uh, I, I subliminally found a way to ask Vanessa. Watching movies. Oh, that's a nice cut. What is that? Uh, that's a princess cut, but I don't like that. Princess no, that's not it. Well, what's that one? Emerald. Oh, oh, you, you like that one? Yeah. Oh, man. okay. What about that one? We would watch movies and we'd be out. That's when, that one's rose gold. So I started to create a list of it and I gave her, the, gave her the ring. But if my heart posture didn't say I love her before the ring. Like, just, just look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Like, don't wait to get the message, just get it. If my heart posture wasn't correct before the ring, the ring, doesn't matter how much money I would have spent on it, because we would have had a fire wedding and a terrible marriage. So the question is, say the question is, what would your worship like look like if you change the way you see your worship? What if every time you served God a plate of food, he had the biscuit like spiritually and just sopped it up and like, what else is there? I, I need more. Because write this down, our God is insatiable. Do you know what that, mean, that, that means? That means that God cannot get enough of your worship. 
That means that God can't get enough of you saying hallelujah. God can't get enough of you saying amen. God, it says in the word of God that God is so selfish and he's so self-absorbed that he loves to hear his name come out of your mouth. Any parents in the room? The one way that your child gets anything out of you is to remind you of how, how dope you are. Pops, you, you, I told all the kids at school that you could beat them up. You'd be like, yeah, I can. So can I get $5? You're not even thinking about it. Yeah, get that money. Wait a minute. It's the same thing that God does. Your worship inclines God to be the father. He is father, but your worship gives him permission to be it. <sighs> Anybody ready? So let's jump in. So there was a point in time in the word in the Old Testament where there was this thing called a covenant. Can you say a covenant? A covenant is basically an agreement that God made with man. Up until this point, there was, no, there was an old covenant, basically Old Testament, old covenant. And basically, God had given people, like, he had given them, like, rules and regulations of how to worship him. Meaning that you couldn't just worship God any type of way because Jesus hadn't came and ripped the veil with his blood and his death. Right? Let's just go to school for two seconds. There's an old covenant. We can't see God. Jesus ends up coming to earth. He dies. And when he dies, that separation that we, that we saw in Genesis 1.26 when they ate the fruit, remember that? They ate the fruit, they get kicked out of, out of heaven, I mean, they get kicked out of Eden. When Jesus died, he made the connection back to, the, back to him possible. But in the Old Testament, there was no covenant. Say no covenant. So there were three different areas of how they would build the presence of God. So there was an outer, an inner, and a holy of holies. Write that down. An outer court, an inner court, and the holy of holies. And each one of these levels, basically in the Hebrew faith, the, uh, the, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in the, in, the, in the Judaism faith, in the Hebrew faith, each one of these levels had a level of cleanliness that the people had to have in order to get there. I'm trying to build something on a foundation. So can we just go to school just for a second? I know you want to hear preaching, but it's the teaching of it that helps you understand why your worship is so important. So the outer court was access for all. Can you say all? The Levites were commanded to sing a new song every single day. Every single day, they were told to sing a new song. Now, I don't think it was like Travis Green or Dante Bowie or Carrie Job. I think their songs could have been simply like, God, you're worthy, God, you're worthy, God, you're worthy, God, you're worthy. The next day, God, you're worthy, God, you're worthy. Like, it's a different song. It's a different key, so therefore it's a different song. Like, they were told to sing a new song at every single point in time. The next level was the inner court. Can you say inner court? Now, this was the area for the official priests, only those who were direct descendants of Aaron, who were, I, I, can, I can chop that up a little bit later, but just know that he was a very powerful prophet that God used. And once God appointed him, he said, everybody that comes from, your, from, from you, I'm going to use those folks. So the, the, the prophets at that point in time had to come from the descendant of Aaron, but they would enter into the inner court. They would wash their hands and their feet at the, at the uh, the labors of bronze. They were basically these troughs of bronze, like metal, that they would put water in, and it wasn't necessarily holy water saying that the water was holy, but they would use that to clean themselves before they walked into God's presence. Because you can't walk into God's presence dirty. Even when they would bring peasants to like King James and like all like, like these, these warlords and stuff, they had to wash them because to be dirty in the presence of the king was worthy of death. Oh, you'll get it in a second. And then they would await the time for the slaughtering of the sacrifices. Then they would wash themselves to symbolize cleanliness after sacrificing the animals because they couldn't have blood on them. Because they had to be pure, they had to be clean. Next was the Holy of Holies. And this is the most amazing one. Because this was the private area where only the head priest spent time with God. Can you say the head priest? 
So that means that in this old covenant, there was only one person that could go before God. That means that when, when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, remember the story of Moses? The Israelites are taken out of, out, of, out, of, uh, out of slavery. They part the Red Sea, and they're so excited, and they're wandering in the desert. That before that, that they had to have a priest that went to God. That's why Moses had to go up to the mountain and talk to God, because the people were not able to access him. So before this time, people were unclean and unable to be in God's presence. In the Holy of Holies was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Can you say that? Ark of the Covenant. So basically, it was a box that God literally resided in. Like, God would prove that he was in the place by sitting in between. There would be two cherubs, two angels that were on top of the box whose, 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 arms, um, whose wings were extended towards one another. And the space in between their wings would be where God would sit. For some of you that are Bible scholars, it's called the mercy seat. It's the place that, oh my God, thank you, Father. It's the place that when Jesus died, he went and took his blood that paid for your sin and my sin, and he sprinkled it over it. When he sprinkled his blood over the mercy seat, that's what made it possible for us to do what we did at the beginning of the service, which is to speak to God and him to clean us just through our words so we don't have to kill any more animals. Look at your neighbor. So you don't have to kill nothing no more. The only thing that you have to kill and offer up as a sacrifice is what? Yourself. Is this good? So in the Holy of Holies, what would happen was God's presence was so strong in that place that what they would do is the priests, they would tie a rope around his ankle. And every step, excuse me, I'm sorry, every step that the priest would take, he would say a prayer because he didn't want to have, he or she didn't want to have any type of dirty or uncleanliness on them. That's the reason why when you wake up in the morning, we have to understand that when we wake up, we wake up in sin. Like you're not a sinner, but you're waking up in the environment of sin. That's why it says every single day in our word that every single day that you're supposed to die to your cross daily. So in the morning, the first thing is, God, I probably missed some things yesterday, so I ask for your forgiveness before I start this day. So every step the priest would take, they would basically give their heart to God, recircumcising, remember, cutting away the fat and the bad parts of who they are with God. And if they were unholy, say, if they were unholy. Look at your neighbor, say, if they were unholy. If they were doing things they weren't supposed to on Sunday morning, Saturday night at 11.59. If they were like Twitter warriors the night before saying things anonymously. It was just the truth. No, you're mean. You're a terrible person. What's the truth? Everybody should know the truth. No, it's the way you say it. If their heart wasn't correct when they walked into the presence of God, they would drop dead. So the string that was around their leg was used so that they could do what? Pull the dead body out of the presence of God. We read the scripture and sometimes people, they want you to believe that God is like this scary oogie boogie guy. But until Jesus died, God's presence could not be dirty. Like God, 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 God was so clean that even in the Garden of Eden, he couldn't have sin around him. So he had to kick the one thing that he loved, that he created out of himself, he had to kick it out because he couldn't have sin next to him. So these three areas were, 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 were kind of symbolic of what religion is today. Where we say that people are too dirty to experience the love of God. You don't, ooh, you don't dress right. You smell a little bit funny. You don't have any church clothes, so you don't deserve the love of Jesus. But I want to make sure that you understand. Look at your neighbor and say, the old covenant is gone. Like, for real. Let's go to class. The old covenant is gone. 
which means that there is nothing that is separating you from the love of Christ. Not how you smell, not what you did last night, not what you're going to do when you leave this place, not how you think, not even your heart posture can keep you away from God. Because once Jesus died, God's number one thing was, I need to get as close to my people as possible. So you ready to jump in the word for real? Here we go. Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your word. Here we go. This is in the Message Bible for those of you that want to follow us specifically. So in Hebrews, we understand it, it uh, we, we don't know who the prophet of Hebrews is. Like, if you do, like, your scholarly, like, anybody, like, a nerd like me, like, you just want to know, like, who was this person in the Bible? Why were they important? Like, what did Peter feel when he stepped out of the boat? Like, I really want to know. Like, I, that's weird. Anyway, book smarts, whatever. But the person who wrote Hebrews, we have, like, no recollection of them. And one thing that we understand is that at the time that the book of Hebrews was written, a lot of the prophets were being persecuted and they were being murdered. So they were going into different towns trying to, like, basically find, were you a follower of Jesus? And if they said yes, they just cut their head off or boiled them or, or, or whatever. So the person who wrote this book, I thank that person so much. And once we die and go to heaven, we're going to know everything. So I'm going to thank whoever that is by name. But the person who wrote Hebrews wanted us to understand why worship is important. So here we go. Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. It says, that first plan contained directions for worship. Meaning that if you don't do what I'm about to talk about, it's not worship. And I specifically designed a place of worship. A large outer tent was set up. Remember, that's the outer courts. The lampstand, the table, and the bread of presence were placed in it. This was called the holy place. Then a curtain was stretched, and behind it, a smaller inside tent set up. This place was called the holy of holies. Remember that small area that the priest would walk into by himself. In it were placed the gold incense altar and the gold carved Ark of the Covenant. Remember that thing I was talking to you about? The Ark of the Covenant basically had some artifacts in it that God had used over the span of time that the Israelites were with God, like in their faith, to remind them of all the things that he had done. So it wasn't that the box and its contents were holy necessarily, but reminding themselves of what God did for them. There are some things that you need to carry with you that remind you of what God did for you. In this box, there was, uh, uh, there was an urn of manna when God gave them food in the desert, but they were too afraid, and they basically said, man, you feeding us from the sky isn't good enough. We live in a day and age where people have to be, like, wowed every second of the day, and once they get bored, they check out. This is the first sign of it. The next thing that we got was Aaron's rod that budded. I can't teach on this. I'm not even worthy of teaching on it. Pastor Martin taught, him, taught a message called Aaron's rod, and it explains how the new part of the rod that buds, like the, when you break off a, a tree branch, it dies, right? So it's not possible for something new to grow out of a dead place. So Aaron's rod is a symbolism that regardless of how dead you think you are, I can still bring life to anything. Ah! I'm about to go super saiyan up here. I'm so excited. The other thing that they had in this box was the covenant tablets. It was God's reconnection with them where he gave them the ten things. Remember the, remember the, the ten commandments? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou, you know, all those things. So all of these things were in this box. The box wasn't holy. The tablets, I mean, the contents weren't holy, but it just reminded them of who was holy, God. After this was set up, the priests went about their duties in the large tent. Only the high priest, underline this, please. Only the high priest entered the smaller inside tent, and then only once a year offering a blood sacrifice for his own sins and then the people's acclimated sins. That means that the priests before God had to atone their own sins before they went before the, for the people. Because in some of our lives, we have to understand that God sees the people in our lives through our filter. 
one, one, one prayer that I pray every morning, even if I don't feel like it, I say, God, help me see such and such the way that you created them, not how I see them. Because if I can get the perfect plan of how you see somebody, I'm going to treat them how you would treat them, not through my experience. So this was the Holy Spirit's way of showing with a visible parable that it was long as a large tent stands. People can't just walk in on God. Underline that. Say you just can't walk in on God. Up until the covenant, you couldn't just walk in on God because his presence would kill you. You had to let him know that you were coming by setting a sacrifice. The smoke signaled to God that you were there. And then he chose if he wanted to be in your presence or not. Because if you were in God's presence up until this point without his permission, you couldn't stand the heat. So here we go. Hebrews 9, 11 through 28. Say new covenant. Old covenant means that there's a veil between you and God. Somebody has to represent you. But somebody say new covenant. Come on, say new covenant. Jesus dies and the covenant from before is immediately shattered. The minute Jesus died on the cross, right? Like, let, let's fast forward a couple hundred, a couple thousand, I'm sorry, a couple hundred years in, in the future. The minute Jesus died, we no longer had to go to man to get to God. Which means that the minute that Jesus died, you no longer have to walk through these doors to experience the presence of God in your life. Which means that the minute that Jesus died, you don't have to wait to get here to worship. You can worship when you wake up on your way here, on your way to work, on your way to, to counseling, on your way to therapy, on your way to curse somebody out. You can worship and change your mind on the way. Amen? Once Jesus died, I want you to say the game changed. So listen to this. In Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, I'm sorry, in Hebrews 9:11, this is what it says. But when the Messiah arrived... That's a message in itself. <laughs> like, when, when Jesus stepped up on the scene, that's the message. When Jesus stepped on the scene, that's the tweet. That's it. Just tweet it right there. When Jesus arrives on the scene, everything changes. So it says, but when Jesus arrived, high priest of the superior things of this new covenant he bypassed the old tent and its trappings in this created world and went straight into heaven's tent. The true holy place. Say the true holy place. Once and for all. Underline this part. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. You should worship God just for two seconds right there. Like right there. You, you should say, God, thank you. That I don't have to go and kill animals, God. You put your own blood on the mercy seat for me. Thank you, Father. That's the least you can do is say thank you. Come on, one, two, three. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and our behavior, underline this. Think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. This is so good. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable. This means that everything that you try to do to make yourself holy means nothing without the blood of Jesus. That's why at the end of every service, we give you the opportunity to know the man, not just so that you can be clean, but so that God can see you correctly. 
Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all of those dead and uh, dead in efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. Pay attention to this one. We're in our word, right? We're in school. This is the only word that matters. Like a will that takes effect when somebody dies, the new covenant was put into action at Jesus' death. The minute he died, you were able to receive grace and mercy. Up until this point, you had to kill a whole bunch of stuff. You had to wash your body. You had to wear white. But the minute Jesus died, you were able to, in your bathroom, at the McDonald's, at the Christmas table, wherever you are, say, God, I give my life to you, and that's it. No questions. God doesn't bring you a rap sheet of what you've done. He doesn't bring up a rap sheet of what you're going to do after you say the prayer. The minute you say, God, I want you in my life to turn me all the way around, and I'm leaving this life that I'm, that I'm running away from, God immediately saves you. So listen to this. His death marked the transition from the old plan to the new one. Canceling the old obligations and accompanying, and, and accompanying sins and summoning the heirs to receive the eternal inheritance that was promised to them, which is salvation. He brought together God and his people in, the new, in this new way. Practically everything in, in, in a will hinges on death. Anybody know what a will is? It basically means that once somebody dies, whoever is on that sheet of paper they get some things or they get some opportunities or they get some power. And once that person is dead, you can't break it. Like, I, I want to make sure you get this. Like, y'all looking at me, but I want to make sure you understand how crazy this is. The minute Jesus died, you were purchased. I'm going to get to worship, but this is like, you got to understand why you worship. The minute Jesus died and his blood was shed, that was the price that God had to see in order to buy you back. So we don't worship the cross, but we worship what he did on it. Because the cross was just a piece of wood. It was just a tool to get there. It's like when you buy a new car. Don't worship the car. Worship the fact that God gave you an idea to get the money to get the car. That's what you worship, not the car itself. That accounts for the prominence of blood and death. Listen to this. For Christ didn't enter the earthly version of the holy place. He entered the place itself. Say the place itself. Because we cannot build a place for God to inhabit. I want you to understand this. God builds a place in your heart once you give your life to him. He builds a house inside of you that he lives in. Anything that we try to build for God ends up being a container. When you give your heart to God, God immediately goes to work on your heart. Somebody say your heart. Look at yourself, say my heart. The minute you give your life to God, God immediately goes to the spiritual home depot, gets a whole bunch of two-by-fours, some, some WD-40, because some of our hearts are rusty, and he starts to work on our hearts so that he can live in it. But if you try to build a place for God, you'll contain him. You'll put limits on what he can do for you. Oh, my goodness. Once you try to build something for God, he's almighty, but he will, he will actually obey the confines of the box. Oh, so that's all you think I can do for you? All right, bet. Oh, the only thing I'm good for is when you need me at the last second, then that's this little, ah, this little box that you've built for me of your expectations. I'll live within the confines of that. But if you allow me, if you allow me to change your perspective, God says, if you allow me to change the perspective of how you see me, I can build you a mansion with four pools and 72 rooms and have space for more. Somebody say grow my capacity. This is so good. Listen to this, the 27th verse. Everyone has to die once. Then they face the consequences. But listen, Christ's death 
was also a one-time event. Say it, one time. one time. Jesus only died once. Period. That's the tweet. You want another one? Write it down. Jesus died once, period. That means that when he died, it was enough. It was enough for them back then. It's enough for you now, and it's going to be enough for the generations that are here when you're dead in the ground. I want you to understand God's grace and mercy does not respect how you think. It doesn't care what you think. God's mercy says regardless of if you think you deserve it, it's here for you. But I'm not going to shove it down your throat. You have to freely receive it. So here we go. Jesus' sacrifice takes care of everything. They had to re-sacrifice animals over and over and over and over and over. There was a lot of bloodshed. But then when Jesus stepped on the scene, when the Messiah stepped into the picture, there was only one drop of blood. It only would have taken... It only would have taken one drop of blood, but God said, I'm so bad, I'm going to let my blood cover the entire eternity. Just to prove a point of how awesome I am. One drop of blood, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. One drop of blood is good enough for your sickness. But God said, you know what, you can have all the blood. One drop of blood is enough to make somebody change their mind that's already tried to X you out. One drop of blood is enough to touch their brain and God change their heart. That's why in every single situation that you walk through, you say hallelujah and you plead the blood over everything. Every time. Who is this for? If you're sick in your body, if your family is going through something right now, you don't need to go get a prescription. All you need to go is to the first national bank of Jesus and ask for a deposit of blood. Because God, all I need is one drop. That's all I need. I don't have to get on my knees. I don't have to cry, God. But if you show up, if you show up, God, if your blood is in my life, I don't have to do anything because you died for a price. And every time I need to pay for something, I use the original currency, which is your blood. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Stop trying to pay for things with your own currency. Your money doesn't work here. Your money doesn't work here. God gave you the currency, which is his blood. So start using it. That's what your worship is. It's an exchange of giving God back to him what he paid to get you. Lord, have mercy. So then we're going to jump to Joshua 24. Once this covenant is broken, Jesus comes on the scene. But I think that multiple times when we read the Bible, there were certain people that got the revelation of who Jesus was going to be before he was even here. Joshua was one of them. So Joshua, you guys know the, the story of Joshua? It's basically the carryover part from Moses. So Moses brings the people out of Egypt, brings them into the desert. What's supposed to be a four-day walk ends up being a 40-year circle. It was only supposed to take them four, ye four days to get from where they were to where they were going. But because they didn't trust God and Jesus hadn't died yet, God couldn't forgive them. Because Jesus hadn't came, he says, I got to kill you because the price has still not been paid for your life. The blood hasn't been shed yet, so I can't buy you back yet. Huh. So God says, you know what, I'm going to kill everybody over the age of? Read your Bible. Over the age of? 40. Kills them all. And now Joshua is left with this new regime of young people fired up for God that don't know fear. They don't know lack. They were born in the desert. So this is the bottom of the barrel. So they're like, anything is possible. 
Sometimes God takes you to the desert just to remind you of how good he can be. Sometimes God takes you to the desert not to make you parched and try to kill you, but he takes you to the desert to remind you that there's water if you keep moving. Look at your neighbor and say, there's still water. Like, there's still water. God can bring water out of a rock. He's done it multiple times. And I have enough faith. I didn't have to see it. I just believe it. That means that when you watch God do something in somebody else's life, you don't have to see it. You can say, God, next. I plead the blood, and I want to purchase. You ever been to a restaurant and see something that somebody's eating, and it's so good you ask what they're eating, and you buy the same thing? What if we started doing that with our faith? Woo! God, you freed them. Whatever they're eating, I want some. Oh, my God. God, you delivered them from pornography. God, I want some of that, and I want an extra serving of grace, an extra serving of mercy. And guess what? The meal is free because I'm paying for it with your currency, which is your blood. Woo! Yo, something's about to happen in this place. Your money's no good here. Look at your neighbor. Say, your money doesn't work here. Mark Zuckerberg ain't got no blood money. Bill Gates, I got billions. My guy got blood. What's good? The blood. It's not just, when we take communion, it should, it should be different now. When we take communion, people should literally have like their heads pop off. Because it's a sacrament of when you drink the wine or when you drink the grape juice that's been in there so long that it does taste like wine. <laughs> that you're taking God's blood and that's enough. Say it's enough. Here we go. So in Joshua 24, Joshua gives God's people an ultimatum. Can you say ultimatum? Basically, what Joshua says to the people is he says, you know what? You ain't got no choice. And if you choose to do other than what I'm about to say, then we're not even in relationship. That means that I don't even keep people around me that don't have a crazy mean prayer and worship life. Because that means that whenever we go out, you're using counterfeit money that's not the blood of Jesus. How much is your salvation work to have people with you that are afraid to lift their hands when God comes in? You can't be my friend and not be slain before the Lord. Well, I just stand here. No, you don't, because I'm about to prove to you that standing is nowhere in your worship. I'm about to prove to you that standing quiet with your eyes closed, that's not worship. It never has been, never will be. As long as we believe that this, is the, that this right here is the living word, you have to understand that standing there with your eyes closed and standing up straight or even sitting is not worship. I'm on your neck today. Because the sorry display of worship that happened this morning is no longer legal in this building. This isn't worship. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me. I know, I got you. In the second through the sixth verse, Joshua reminds the people of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. He reminds them that God was with them, therefore he's with us. Say, therefore he's with us. So if your granny was praying, God's still with you even if you don't decide to be with him. In the 7th through the 10th verse of Joshua 24, he explains about the deliverance of Egypt, right? The seven plagues, the Passover with the blood, and, and the wilderness and the Red Sea. He reminds them, remember God did a whole bunch of stuff for us, don't forget. I know you don't remember because it was your parents and they didn't trust God, but we're going to trust them. So don't forget what God did. In the 11th through the 13th verse, he reminds them about taking Jericho and the promised land. Remember that, that story? For seven days they walked around the walls of Jericho, and then afterwards what did they do on the seventh day? They yelled. 
which is the final form of your worship. The final form of your worship is a burst of exclamation saying, God, you're amazing. So it's impossible for you to worship with your mouth closed. Joshua 24, 14 through the 16th. Listen to this. So now fear God, worship him. This is Joshua talking to the people. Fear God, worship him in total commitment. Get rid of the gods of your ancestors worshipped on the other side of the river. Because on the other side of the river, which was the Euphrates, that's what they had to cross over to get their freedom. So there's some things that once you cross over it, you can't go back. So once you give your heart to Christ and you cross over the threshold or the river or however you want to see it, it's going to be more detrimental to your health to try to go back to the life that you lived. That's why some people in the old church, they say, I used to get high, but I can't get high no more. I used to get drunk, but I can't. Like, I'm trying to get drunk, but God's like, no, you've crossed the threshold and my blood paid the price. And once you pay the price with my blood, there is no receipt. There's no refund for your salvation. The minute you give your life to God, the blood keeps speaking. Oh, my God. Somebody say the blood keeps speaking. But listen to this. Joshua says, if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, listen, 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 listen. If you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then do what? Choose a God, small g which means that none of them are up to the stature of the God that we're worshiping. You'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods of your ancestors worshiped from the country beyond the river. When we were in Egypt, we used to worship calves and gold and stuff. Like, we worshiped rocks and dirt and sand, but I'm going to worship the man that created all the elements. So listen to what he says. Lean in. Listen to what he says. Choose one of the gods of your ancestors worship from the country beyond the river or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land you're now living. He says, I'll even give you the option to worship the God of the land that God gave you. The God, the, the God that the people were worshiping, the land that we, we killed them all. You could even worship that God, which is dumb because our God is the one that defeated their God anyway. <laughs> God is so funny. The word is petty. Say petty. But petty, petty patty, that's the word. But listen to this. What does he say? As for, period. You can go and do what you want to do. But as for, you can go and find a counselor, you can go to therapy. You can call your friends over to show them your house. And it's not because you want them to see how great God is, but you want to try and, like, get a foothold on them for what God blessed you with. But as for me and my house, what we're going to do, instead of trying to make people feel bad for what God gave us, we're going to worship him in it. So the only reason why I'm inviting you into the Maserati when I get one The only reason why I'm driving the the Lamborghini and living in the house and my wife is going to have everything that she wants is so that while we're in it, we can lift our hands. And the only reason why I show you a better life that I can live better than you is to show you that you can have it through my worship. My worship gives access to other people to live the same life that I'm living. Your worship gives other people access to see that if God can do it in my life, he can do it in... Yo, that's why sometimes when somebody's worshiping up here and lifting their hands, you'll feel something. And it's not even God. 
Sometimes it is. But sometimes it's that person worshiping in your place because you're too ashamed to do it for yourself. All those times that you were trying to figure out, man, that car crashed. That should have taken me out. Man, I should have had 70% degree burns all over my body. No, but granny was praying. Granny was worshiping while you were out at 2 o'clock in the morning. She was on her knees lifting up that Bible, opening up her mouth, and saying, God, if you keep them tonight. You are on your deathbed, and you are trying to figure out, like, God, there's cancer all in my body. I'm trying to figure it out right now. HIV, AIDS, herpes, whatever it is going through your body, you're trying to figure it out. But I believe that if you could just, if you, if you could just, if you could lift your hands and just say hallelujah, that's better. That's better than any prescription because the, the, the doctor, you just walk in that, you drive past the doctor, and they're going to bill you. But guess what? God's prescription is free. So here we go. Can I show you something? Can we practice? Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. There are seven instructions that God gives us in our worship. And you don't have a choice of which ones you follow. (laughs) If you don't write down anything else... I want you to write this down. So take out your phone. Lie to me if you have to. Lie to me if you have to. Take it out and just hold it. There are seven specific instructions that God gives us, and every single one of them builds a house. Remember how we talked about it? How we said that before, if you try to build something for God, that it becomes a container. But if you allow God to build something, that it has the capacity of everything. Well, there are seven foundational parts to building God's house in your heart. Can we bring the lights down just a little bit? The first thing is setting an atmosphere for God. So the reason why we have all these lights, the reason why we're spending the stupid money, which you, through your generosity and your faith, allows us to do, our culture code is generosity and faith, and because of your tithe and your offering, we're able to do everything that we do here. And God gives us wisdom to steward the money correctly through integrity. So we create an environment through the lights through the sounds that you hear, through the paint on the wall, through the lights coming down, because we just want to be intentional. It's not that we're saying that the bells and whistles bring God, but we're just trying to make sure that he sees the smoke. Before when they would do the sacrifices, thank you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Sorry, had a moment. Um, God sees our smoke. That's, a, that's another sermon. You don't want this smoke, but God, God does. You would burn the sacrifice, and God would make a decision if he wanted. He would make a decision if he wanted to inhale your smoke. But when Jesus died, the minute that you set fire to who you are, God receives the smoke every time. Every time. Before God had a choice, but when God bought you, you became his son and his daughter, and God doesn't have any choice but to receive you. So God gives us seven foundational levels, and after today, our worship goes to another level, and if it doesn't, we're stopping it and we're starting over because we do not deserve what God gave us, but we're going to make sure that every song that we sing... Every song that we sing, every single beat that we play, God, we're setting an atmosphere. 
We're setting an atmosphere for you to destroy cancer. We're setting an atmosphere for you to bring lost children home. We're setting an atmosphere for you to destroy the wickedness of self sex trafficking in our city every time we set an atmosphere. So there are seven levels. There are seven levels. Thank you, Father. There are seven levels of worship. And you cannot meet God without all seven. And not one of them, not one of them has you sitting in a space. Not one of them has you with your, with your mouth closed. Are you ready? When we go through these seven levels, the presence of God is going to sweep through this place. I just want to make sure that you're ready. I just want to make sure that you're ready because when the presence comes in, it says that his train... The train is what follows the bride. It's just like God's glory with every step that he takes sweeps over his people. So I just want to make sure that when you start seeing and hearing things through these seven levels, don't be weirded out. Just lean in. Just assume that what you know isn't right. Does anybody want to see God for real? Can I show you my Jesus? Can I show you the Jesus that I see when I'm laying here? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I, can, I, can I introduce you to the steps and the process to bring him into every situation that you're in? There are seven levels. Write these down. Don't, just humor me. You need this. There are seven levels of your worship. The first level of your worship. Thank you, Father. The first level of your worship is yada. Thank you, God. This is the worship of your surrender. Yada is the worship of lifting your hands in the extension of yourself. Oh my God, Abba Father. In the Hebrew, it means Father. But in the Jewish rendition, Abba Father literally means pick me up, Daddy, I'm all yours. Let's practice it. Just, just lift your hands. This is the sign of surrender. It's God, I don't know what I'm doing. But the minute I step into your presence, how dare I not lift my hands? In Psalms 28.2, it says, Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord, when I cry to you for your help, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary, you hear me. The second, okay, is there anybody that wants to practice this boldly before God? I'm going to give you two minutes to meet me up front. Let's fill this altar. Come on, let's, let's call them in. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't wait. I, don't, don't be embarrassed. I've done a little bit too much sweating and a little bit too many tears for you to be embarrassed. Come on. Come on. Come on. Why not be today? Why not be today that you change your worship? Why not be today when you call on God's name and God's looking for you? Oh, they open up their mouth. What do they want? Oh, she just yawned. Never mind. Bring it down. 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 The second level of your worship is called Barak. Barak is the worship of your posture. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, Barak means to kneel down. Let's practice it. Come on, come on, I know it's hard. If you're elderly, sit down and we'll call that kneeling. Come on, come on, come on. 
It's only going to take a minute. Come on. Come on. It's only going to take a minute. Barak is the worship of your posture. It's the entry place of humility, kneeling in a sign of taking off your crown to worship the king. Come on, spiritually take your crown off. Take it off. God, I'm nobody without you. I take this thing off. I'm not even trying to lead my life. The crown that you put on my head, you put it there, so I freely take it off. Yay! Thank you, God. In Psalms 95, 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The third level is Tauda. It's worship of thanksgiveness, of thankfulness of our faith. In the Greek, it literally means priming God's hand to bless you. We give thanks and praise before we receive. We use our faith to receive before we have it. And then we agree with what God has said. This is where we remind God of who he is and what he has said. In Psalms 42, 4, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Psalms 103.2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. In this moment, just begin to be thankful. It's not, it's not verbal. It's, we're not there yet. We're not talking yet. In your heart, it's a quiet thankfulness. Thank him for everything he's done for you. Even the things that you didn't see. You had a cold and you thought that the cold went away the next morning. No, that was God. God, thank you. Even the splinter, nothing is insignificant. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing right now. Thank you, Lord. The fourth level of our worship is hala. It's the worship of volume. Can you say volume? This means to make a loud sound, boastful, exciting, and enjoying the greatness and goodness of God. It's the root word of the word hallelujah. It's becoming a fan of God. When the Huskers take the field, you holla. Why are you hollering at somebody? It's because you're boasting about how great our God is. So practice it right where you are. Don't say anything, but just yell. Just scream. Just open up your mouth and talk. Come on. Come on. Hey! Come on. Come on. With this holla, chains are broken because of your yell. This is what brought the walls of Jericho down, was their yell. God stood behind their yell and screamed. In any situation that you're in, get to this level and don't even speak words, just yell and God stands behind it. Psalms 98, four, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Somebody say number five. This is Shabbat. Hallelujah, Shabbat. Praise the Lord. That's the song, but this is what it means. Putting your entire self in your praise. Without inhibition makes your enemies shut up. That's the Greek. The Greeks took the word of God 
and put it in their own words. And sometimes it's a little bit better. So when you say Shabbat, you put the devil in his place. When you say Shabbat, you literally tell the enemy, go back to the hell that you came from. So right now, it might sound weird, but I'm saying Shabbat to my finances, Shabbat to my health. Come on, come on. To the devil that thinks they have your son or your daughter, Shabbat. Devil, get back in your place. In Joshua 6.20, it says, The Israelites shout and the walls will fall down. This reminds our enemies of our God's strength. Somebody say level number six. Is This one is the Hila. It's the worship of prophecy. Once you have entered into his presence and you've surrendered and you've given yourself up and you've screamed and you've declared how good he is, God gives us the power to speak things that aren't as though they were. Fahila is the spontaneous, new, and unrehearsed lyrics from the heart of God. It's when you're able to speak out of your mouth things that sound like gibberish to people, but it's God through the Holy Spirit speaking through you. It, this worship gives God permission to sit in your life, closely connected to tongues. So if you speak in tongues, don't be embarrassed for like two minutes and go ham just for a second. Open up your mouth. Come on. Come on. That's God speaking through you. Come on. In Psalms 43, chapter 40, verse 3, it says, He has put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. In the Greek, Tehillah means for our God, from our God. <laughs> it's when you open up your mouth, you speak in tongues, God speaks a word in the earth through you. It's our heavenly language. Your first language isn't English, Spanish, Japanese. Your first language is But just like how you had to be taught how to speak English, you got to learn how to speak with God. Okay, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, receive it right now. All over the room, just receive it. Open up your mouth and just start talking. Don't think about it. Don't think about it, just start talking. Your tongues might sound like this, ba 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 whatever it sounds like. Just be weird. Just be a weirdo for 20 seconds. Come on. Through your tongues, God gets what he needs done on the earth. God, I'm a vessel, use me. I don't have the words to say. That's what Moses said. Moses said, I stutter. So God said, you know what? Just open up your mouth and I'll fill it. You're walking into the business idea or the business design meeting. You don't know what to say. You're not that smart. Just open up your mouth. I bet you'll find out what to say. 
students that are trying to get somebody to give you money to go to school. You don't have enough poise to get what you want. Open up your mouth and let God speak for you. Those of you that are looking for accolades and fame, you're going to be up on a stage performing in front of people. You're not good enough for the stage. Open up your mouth and let God speak for you. Come on, let him speak through you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Here it is. Somebody say level seven. Come on, level seven. What we understand is that the seven is the perfect number. Don't ask any question, it just is. When God says something, don't try to interpret it, it just is. Just say it, this is. The number seven is perfect. Seven is the worship of karar. This is the worship of movement. Now listen. They say that David loved God so much that he, he, he danced before God in a hilarious place where his clothes fell off. I want you to understand the significance of this. As a king, you never show your backside to the people. As a king, you never show your back to the people unless you're leading them. Because for them to see what's underneath you is for you to be vulnerable. Karara is the, is, 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 is the worship of our movement, but I want you to understand this. In the Hebrew, it's the worship of moving forward. What's our word of the year, y'all? Karara is the worship of movement. It's not just dance. We've been misinterpreting to do a dance. No, no, no. It's, it's you taking your spirit and putting it on the vehicle of God and moving forward. It's the physical interpretation of how your heart feels. It's the, God, I believe you, I trust you, but through this level of worship, I'm gonna take a step forward in the spirit. In Psalms 149, it says this, let them praise his name in the dance. Karar being the root word, which means to move and basically say yes and amen. So let them praise his name by saying yes and amen. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. In this moment, stop fighting God and give him your karar worship. Just say yes and amen and move forward. Right where you are, move away from your sin, move away from your past, move away from what people told you about yourself. Just put your faith on the vehicle of God and move forward. Go, come on, go. Go! It's not a footstep, it's a spiritual step. It's God, I put my faith in your vehicle because it never runs out of gas. And it doesn't need an interpretation. It doesn't need ways. It doesn't need Siri. It doesn't need Google Maps. God, I'm putting everything that I have, all of my baggage, all of my luggage, all of my sin, all of my crap, every single person that pissed me off, every single person that made me upset. God, I'm putting all of that on the vehicle. And I'm getting in the seat and letting you drive. In your faith, do it now. Do it now. Do it now. God, I give you my family. My son is out here on drugs. My, my, my daughter is out here giving her body away, God. That means absolutely nothing. Here's my karar worship. I put all of that stuff in your vehicle, and this is my worship of moving. Go. Come on. Go. That business idea that you keep trying to get off the ground. You ain't got the juice. Give it to God. 
You want to give your wife a, a, a dream that, that, that is bigger than what you think. You ain't got the juice, dog. Give it to God. This is the final, this is the final level. There's seven, but this is the final part. In the old church, what they would say is that I will wait on you. Remember we talked about that? But how many of you guys know that waiting isn't done with of sound? Waiting is done with your posture like you are now, with your heart circumcised. Remember we talked about that, everything that's not like God being cut off. And now we've set the levels for God to build his house. So this is the thing. When God builds his house, that's when we're waiting. We're waiting for God to build it on our hearts. But you can't have God build a house on your heart if you haven't given your heart to Christ. So we got to do something just a little bit weirder. Can you say weirder? We're a bunch of weirdos in this room because what you're doing is uncommon. It's, un, it's, it's not normal. For the first thing that happens in your life, you fall to your knees. That's weird. But what if everybody did it? It wouldn't be weird anymore. So any person under the sound of my voice, just lift your hand. You do not know Jesus, but you want in on what's happening right now. Lift your hand. Lift your hand. Lift your hand. If you want to rededicate your life, because some of y'all should, everybody should rededicate it. Because what you thought was worship wasn't what it is. Rededicate it. Come on, lift it up. Father God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of the Lamb, God, we just give our lives to you that you would wash us clean. Make us new. Make us new. God, that our old life now is illegal. Evict us from the house that we tried to build for you. And now in this moment, I want you to go to the four. Go to the four and hold it silently. Now we wait on God. Don't say anything. Don't even think anything. Allow God to flood your thoughts. Let's wait on it. Don't interpret. This is not the time. The man of God, if anybody's going to interpret, it's going to be our pastor. Don't step out of line. Decency and order. worship is interpreted by the Greek saying, until you move, I won't move. In the Hebrew, it means I'm going to do the last thing that God told me. This shouldn't be awkward. Just wait on him. God says, just wait on me. Have I not already fulfilled my promise in your life multiple times? Just, just wait. I don't want you to suffer, but you're gaining some things in your suffering, so just, just wait. I'm building something in you. don't move. There are three types of songs that we hear about in the Bible. I want you to understand why we sing. I did a lot of studying over the last two weeks for this message. I really want you to eat this up. 
there are three different types of song. Can you say three? There's one song which is God to man. There's another song that's man to God. And then the final song is man to man. God to man, man to God, man to man. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This is where God sings over us. In this moment of us waiting, you might, anybody hear anything? Like, don't be weird. Like, for real. Anybody hear anything, but you don't hear it out here? You hear God singing to you. You hear something in the, like, it's, it might, for some of you that have never seen it before, it's, you hear music, you hear a melody in your head. Anybody? That's God singing to you. We just sang it. You dance over me. We'll just change that word to, to sing. God's singing over you. He's singing over you the promises. In the Hebrew, it says that Zephaniah, when the book was written, it was written all in the space where people were on their face before God. That while they were on their face, that they would yell while they were in the temple. And people on the outside of the temple began to write the book of Zephaniah for them because they were so awestruck with God's presence. This is a song from God to man. The next is man to, man to God. The entire book of Psalms, David wrote it. But if you read it, it rhymes and it flows like a song. Psalms is a song from man to God. So if anything that you're singing when you're singing to God where you say I, if it does not line up with Psalms, it's not biblical. Don't sing it. That's why we change some words to some songs. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. First till I'm found, leaves the 99. The original lyric is, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. That's not true. Because when Jesus died, you earned it and you deserve it. <laughs> the last is man to man. Now, you got somebody next to you. If you can muster it, I want you to put your hand on them. Don't be weird, but just put your hand on them. The last part of our songs and singing is this. In Psalms 145.4, it reads, Generation after generation stands in awe of your work. But listen to this. Bring it down just a little bit. It says, Each one tells a story to one another of your mighty acts. When we come to worship our God together in this place, we sing a song one to another. We worship God, God sings over us, but in our worship, while you're touching the person that's next to you, you're standing in agreement with them in the presence of God for whatever they're believing for. So this is the reason why you need to be here at 945, because you need to have your heart be in the right place before you enter in. Remember how they would die and they would pull them out? We don't physically die anymore, but you can spiritually die now. We connect ourselves together, building a culture of community where if you, won't, if you don't have the, the energy to muster up your hands, I'll lift my hands. Mother Woods can't jump up and dance and jump all over the place, but you know what, Mother Woods? I'll do it for you. My brother over here is, is struggling with something. Mike told me this morning, he said, man, I, I just need something. You know what, Mike? If you don't have the strength, if you, if you don't have the strength, brother, to worship God, we'll worship for you. Is anybody tired in the room? Anybody tired? You're beat up. You, like, you've been trying to do it, and it doesn't work out. 
Come on, let's worship for those people just for two seconds. Worship for your brother. Worship for your mother, your father, your grandmother, your aunt. Come on, worship in their place. Come on. God, I thank you for my brother. We live in the city of Boys Town where the slogan is, he's not heavy, he's my brother. You're not heavy. You're not heavy. You're my brother. You're my sister. How dare you struggle in silence next to me and I know the God of the living. Any person that's serving, drop what you're doing right now and enter in. Cut the stream. Cut it all off. Cut it all off. Cut it all off. You do it at home before they cut it off though, but cut it all off. Enter in. Enter in. 